Don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1423XY, how are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six, 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3WE, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1423 XY. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. Our 30 minutes or so where we catch up with the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. And today's guest is the man who kept the ladies' company in that mid-morning shift in the 70s. His name? He does indeed. Joe Miller, welcome to Pilots and thanks for joining us. Whereabouts do we find you these days? On the Sunshine Coast, Paul. I've retired here. And how's it looking at the moment? Pretty good, actually. I appreciate the weather. Not as cold as Melbourne and not as hot as Darwin. Okay, let's just uh, rewind back to that uh, Joe Miller youth, uh, where you grew up, sort of hobbies you had as a kid, and uh, what sort of a student were you like at school? Um, I think I was a pretty good student at school. I, um, I was born in Melbourne, but grew up in the Western District of Victoria, uh, first at a little town called Marino, which was my dad's hometown. When I was 10, we moved to, not far away to a town called Casterton. When I finished school, Year 12 and turned 18, I moved to Melbourne and got a room at the YMCA. So, Joe, in that room at the YMCA, where did you have your radio dial tuned to? 3UZ, The Greater, Stan Rofe, Ken Sparks, those guys, Alan Lappin, Don Lunn, and they were king. When did you think that radio might become something you could make a career of? Um... I originally got to Melbourne and took up a job as a clerk at an insurance company, which got boring very quickly. So I did a whole bunch of jobs um, from selling vacuum cleaners door to door to loading trucks at Victoria markets, some time and motion study at electronics industries. I was interested in photography. So I got a job at car camera company in Swanson street. I was interested in records. So I got a job at Batman records and while I was at Batman, I went to Lee Murray's radio school at night. And um, at the time, he was uh, also associated with Clark Sinclair's landline station in St Kilda. So we used to all at least sit around the table and read advertising copy. Um, some of the alumni at the time were Leon Biner, who went on to be quite successful in Adelaide. Jeff Sunderland, similarly. Um, Rick Melbourne. There's also Bob Stewart. Uh, George Dane, Sam Gallier. 
So, yeah, it was an interesting time. Lou was very big on projecting forward to the tip of the tongue, he would say. He had an exercise that went um, new poire, so, which you'd say as an exercise to get the voice projecting to the back of the room because he was quite theatrical league. Invaluable experience with the panel at Clark Sinclair's studio down in East St Kilda. And uh, in those days, the manager came, manager, radio station managers would get in touch with Lee. In fact, Taz Lord, the general manager of the Tasmanian Broadcasting Network, which was 7BU7AD7SD, and the manager of 7AD came to Lee's and auditioned a couple of people who Lee put up who thought were ready. And I was offered a job at 7BU in Burnie. That was 1966. Took my first plane flight, a Fokker, ANSAT Fokker Friendship from Essendon Airport to Wynyard in Tasmania. I was there for a year. And in those days, the folks at 3TR Sale, when they had a vacancy, would listen to 7BU, whose signal came across the Bass Strait quite well. And after a year, I got an offer for a job at 3TR sale, which I took up. And while there, I worked with a couple of guys who had also been at 7BU, Sam Gallier and George Danes. Uh, Also amongst the staff was Keith McGowan, George Groover Wayne, who went to, later went to Triple J. Yeah, so that was, that was, I think I was there for three years, applied to 3XY. Dick Hemming, the program director, gave me a job when they were in Faraday Street in Carlton. And after being there for two weeks, Rod Muir and Digger May moved in as consultants and the whole more music format came in. Okay, just rewinding back to that first gig at 7BU, what were the tasks assigned to the new kid on the block? Play the records, sweep the floors, make the coffees? Pretty much. You did everything. That was why it was a good country radio is a good grounding because you'd go visit the clients after the salespeople had teed them up, find out what they wanted to advertise, write the copy, um, record or read live the copy on air, um, we would also read the, the local news. The Bernie Advocate would slip the news stories of the day under the door in the first thing in the morning. Um, yeah, ex- excellent grounding because you did everything. So then tell us, uh, Joe, what was it like walking into the big metro station? Uh, well, it was exciting to, to have made the big time, but then was disorienting when suddenly this whole Digger May thing happened. And um, I did. I was doing nights, I think, initially, and 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 I, then I was put on mid dawns, so that was worrying because I just put a deposit on the house. <laughs> but then uh, we moved to the Age Building, fifth floor of the Age Building in Spencer Street. Um, Stan Rofe, who had been doing mornings, I think his nerves had got to him by then, and he came off air and did full-time music director. So I got his gig, 9 to 12, uh, 3XY. So what did that on-air schedule look like when you took up the morning shift? Um, 
I think Rick Melbourne was originally doing breakfast at Faraday Street. Um, immediately prior to that, I think they used to use the slogan, um, Melbourne Young and Bright. It was Rick Melbourne, um, Johnny Young and Bobby Bright. So there were quite a few changes when, when Digger May took over. Um, but when, then when they settled down, then it was Peter Harrison on breakfast, me on mornings. Afternoons was variously John O'Donnell, uh, Greg Smith as Dick Starr, uh, Greg Evans on drive, Lee Simon also on drive at various times, uh, Holger Brockman as Bill Drake on nights, uh, Paul Turner late nights. So, yeah, that was, I think, in its heyday, that was pretty much the lineup. And you did make that morning shift your own for many, many years. And while Harrow was getting the people up to work and Greg Evans was helping the school kids zone out after another day of study, you were left to look after the ladies. As a broadcaster, how conscious were you of the demographic that you were pitching at? Well, in those days in radio, certainly up until then, it was the morning shift, 9 to 12, was also always referred to as the women's. Uh, so that gave you a pretty clear idea of the demographic. So with that in mind, what sort of licence were you given regarding the content of the shift? Well, it was that was the thing. It was pretty much a 24-hour format. Everybody had the same approach. The music format was the same right across the board. Um, yeah, and, and be yourself was, I think, because what they were mainly doing was stopping you from talking proper and not to be afraid of your Aussie accent and just be like the guy in the street, normal. And that was good advice. And that was what 3XY became known for. In fact, it was <laughs> referred to uh, as free eggs Y. There at various stages. And I don't think the whole station sounded like that. That was more particularly Paul Turner at night. He had a pronounced ochre approach. Um, but yeah, being being natural and being you know normal. Yeah, but let's face it, Joe, your shift was a little different because not every jock had a promotional video made with a girl in a bath. <laughs> no, that was actually because Hoyts, I think, owned the license at the time, and that was a promotional movie, which is on YouTube these days, um, that they made for 3XY Expo, which was a big deal. We took over the exhibition buildings. And that movie was screened. I never actually met the lady. That was that all was connected in edit. And uh, yeah, it's quite amusing. What was the most exciting thing about being a jock at XY during the seventies? The fact that we had such an audience share was always uppermost in mind. When we finally went number one after a stiff competition with Three AK, and they went beautiful music. Uh, 3XY was huge. Now, you did eventually move across to the FM dial. Um, could you see the writing on the wall for AM stations with an all-music format? Well, a, a little bit transpired in between <clears throat> because uh, Gibson and Moore had been successful on 2SM in the morning mornings in Sydney, so Digger May wanted to replicate that, so they brought in Bob Mormore, who became Miller and Mormore, and when... Bob lost interest after a while and the ratings weren't what he was hoping. I, I had, in fact, been rating better as a solo and he went back to Perth and not long after he was 
employed by new owners at 6PR to put together a new team and he got in touch with me and offered me a job at 6PR in Perth, which turned out to pay less than he said it would. And I moved over to 6PM. I had six months at 6PR, six months at 6PM when baby John and Lionel York were there and another uh, old alumni, uh, Bob Stewart, who I'd worked with at 3TR, he was also there. Uh, then I went back to Melbourne, worked at 3DB, 3KZ, and Rhett Walker was putting together a new format for 3KZ, which is why I rung him, because he was highly regarded in the business, along with Rod Muir. And uh, he offered me a job at 3KZ, and he was only there briefly setting it up. And when the two licences came up for FM, he offered me a job at Fox FM, and Trevor Smith offered me a job at Eon FM, so I took the Eon offer. And in 1980, started the whole new ball game. So, Joe, after moving from a juggernaut like 3XY onto an experiment like Eon, what was the difference in the stations and what was that original vibe like at Eon? It was, the vibe was great, in fact, but yeah, it was pretty slow initially because. Um, we put together our own format on the fly, basically, album tracks and some fairly obscure stuff, Mongo Santa Maria's Watermelon Man and, uh, yeah, a whole lot. We, we wanted to break away from that top 40 uh, syndrome. Unfortunately, after a while, we realised we had to do it to get ratings. So uh, we ended up... Not as poppy as XY, but certainly top 40 oriented. But it was a great, a great station, great team. Uh, all the guys got on well. A lot of us were former 3XY people. Lee Simon, Trevor Smith, Peter Grace. Who were some of the driving forces away from the microphone who gave you confidence that uh, FM radio was the way to go? Well, um, I was kind of aware of where it might, the possibilities of listening to rock music in stereo and a good hi-fi system at home. Um, unfortunately, not everybody listened to it that way. And it was a shame to say, you know, go football after a while, become Triple M and all that, but I wasn't there then. Lee Simon and Trevor Smith have always been significant influences. Well, Billy Pennell also, he was a music director at KZ and then he went to E.ON. So, yeah, it was, there was like a group of us that sort of over several years had worked together. And you also came in on the ground floor at the Gold Coast when they established CFM up there. That's right. Yeah, I was part of the original team there. Actually, after E.ON, because later on, before they went Triple M, they were being programmed out of Sydney and uh, the program director who would come down every now and again had someone else in mind for my shift, and uh, <laughs> I ended up having to leave. And I was at 3UZ briefly and then heard about CFM, went to the Gold Coast, was at CFM as part of the original lineup for a while, then I moved to Coast FM, which is the ABC station on the Gold Coast, managed at the time by Bill Gates, famous for having discovered the BGs. He was a DJ at UZ when they were big. And I really enjoyed it there. That was a, well, use the American 
adult alternative format. It's a bit like smooth, but with more instrumentals and very laid back. And it kind of worked on the Gold Coast. I enjoyed my time there, actually. And after that, um, went to live in the Barossa Valley and did some casual shifts on uh, 5MU in Murray Bridge and from there to Territory FM in Darwin. Yes, and nine years at Territory FM in Darwin. What was special about working at the top end? Well, yeah, it was probably the longest I'd ever been at, at, a, at one station, the last one up until my retirement in 2015. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, – I had a contact there because it was being managed by Peter Perrin, who had I had worked with when he was music director at 6PR in Perth in the 70s. Yeah, it was. It, it's a community station, but it had a very you know, professional commercial uh, approach, format and programming, and uh, good sounding station still is. Well, you must have made a fair impression up there, Joe, because you scored a full three minutes on the Channel 9 News in Darwin when you retired. That was a surprise, actually. I was trying to avoid going out with any kind of fanfare, uh, but Jonathan Upton heard about it and managed to corner me in the studio and pull out that old 3XY movie with the, with the lady in the bath and made a very good segment about it. Was that a nice way to finish off the career up there at the Territory? It was, actually. Um, yeah, I was getting... I was certainly ready to retire. I was sick of having to do it every day in the end. And now I've got no deadlines and can do what I like. Melbourne, the rock capital of Australia, 3XY. OK, Joe, time now for a dozen or so of our stock standard probing jock questions. First one, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had been assassinated? I was actually at Eon FM Studios in Bank Street, South Melbourne. Um, I had finished my shift and wandered into the newsroom and I was actually looking at the teleprinter when it typed out the story that John Lennon had been assassinated. Um, so I was the first person in the building who knew that that had happened. And I went, Peter Grace was on air, so I went and told Gracie before the story actually went to air and watched the colour drain from his face. Um, and then we, I think, went into John Lennon and Beatles music there for a while. Um, but yes, remember it like yesterday. Last concert ticket you played for, Joe? Um, quite recently, I bought tickets to see Don Walker of Cold Chisel at the Umundi Pub. A couple of years ago, Cat Stevens at the Brisbane Entertainment Centre, still sounding as good as ever. Um, but yes, there were many years of free tickets. Speaking of concerts, is there one you regret not seeing? Well, um, Elvis, of course, would have been the big one, I think, because I saw the Beatles, the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan all in the 60s, the first time that they came out here. Um, but, yeah, that would be the, the one you could say you missed. Elvis never made it to Australia. The song you've played over the years that you never get tired of playing? Well, working a high-rotation playlist like XY, you get sick of all of them after a while. <laughs> But so you look for something different. And one that pops to mind is one that we actually promoted as a 
special release on Miller and Walmore, and that was Dorothy Moore's Misty Blue, which was different to the pop and rock that was happening at the time, slow ballad. Uh, and so, yeah, we jumped on that, Stan brought it in one morning and said, you know, you should give this feature this one. And it was a big hit in Melbourne and everywhere else too. But, yeah, that, that's one that stands out. Has anything happened over the years, Joe, where you thought you might get that Don't Come Monday letter in your pigeonhole? Well, it was actually more likely when I, because I wasn't on air at 7BU doing breakfast, I used to sleep in a lot um, and the station used to close down overnight. So the breakfast announcer actually dialed the transmitter on air. And in those days, if there was no signal coming down the line at what was then the PMG, uh, before Telstra, they would ring the sales manager and he would come to my place and wake me up and drive me to the station. And that happened quite a few times. So I was a little worried that that would terminate my career right there. <laughs> Is there any special piece of memorabilia from those early days of the 70s that you're still holding on to these days, Joe? There were lots of stickers and T-shirts, but I think the most nostalgic property that I have from that era are actually air checks of me being on air at XY. And I've put a couple of those up on my YouTube channel, um, which, yeah, the main thing that takes you right back there. Biggest news story that you broke while you were on air? While I was on air, because as I said, I wasn't on air when John Leonard died. I was driving to work at XY when Elvis died. Um, but I was on air at 5MU when the Port Arthur massacre happened. That was kind of huge. And we took our news on relay from 5AD at the time, I think. So it was monitoring the line and doing crosses and everybody remembers that one, I think. Choice between Skyhooks and Sherbet, where were your alliances? I'd have to say uh, Skyhooks because they were a Melbourne band. Sherbet was Sydney. Skyhooks were in the station at XY quite often. And I think one of the main differentials is uh, Greg McCanch's intelligent lyrics. Stones or Beatles? The Stones, because they kept going. The Beatles broke up in 1969. And because they were uh, basically originally a blues band and I was into blues, I'd been, you know, when I discovered 12 Bar Blues and got into John Lee Hooker and Jimmy Reed and all that kind of stuff, which the Rolling Stones helped to promote really in many ways, the early old blues guys. Uh, so, yeah, still a big fan of the Rolling Stones. Have you ever been starstruck while interviewing someone in the studio? <laughs> Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> I was a big fan of Alien, the original movie. She came in, this is an eon, she came in, uh, I think she was promoting Ghostbusters in the early 80s, but she was wearing that white singlet that she had on in Alien, and she said to me that I had a nice voice. So I was a stammering idiot there for quite a while <laughs> before I got that happening. Any one person that you would have liked to have interviewed but never got the chance to? That would have to be Bob Dylan, notoriously difficult to interview, but I would have liked that. Have a go. Best words of advice you were given by management uh, that saw you through your career? 
Well, well Trevor Smith, probably the, the Digger May direction, and Trevor was consulting PD at XY, and he was the one that said be natural. And probably he taught mainly by example because he, his style is very natural on air and uh, quite difficult to emulate, but that was, that was the philosophy that we're trying to emulate. Three albums that you would consider were the soundtrack of your teenage years. Well, as my teenage years were late 50s, early 60s, um, and I was actually also into jazz as well as top 40 at the time, so one of my favourite albums was Miles Davis' Kind of Blue because I learned to play trumpet. But also you'd have to say Fats Domino's Greatest Hits, Blueberry Hill, Walking to New Orleans, I'm Gonna Be a Wheel, uh, Buddy Holly's Greatest Hits also. So, yeah, way back. And finally, Joe, if you hadn't caught the radio bug, where might you have ended up career-wise? Maybe some form of journalism or photojournalism because I was always interested in photography since I was at school. In fact, Keith McGowan and I were in the Sale Camera Club together when we were at 3TR, and I had applied for a cadet journalism vacancy at The Age in Melbourne when I was first early in Melbourne. In fact, out of school, the Cassiter News had offered me a job on the basis of my letters to the editor. But I thought, no, no, I'll go to Melbourne and work for one of the big papers until I realised that, like in radio in those days, you had to start in the country and work your way back because I think that the age had two cadet journals vacancies a year and hundreds of people applied who had matriculated with honours. So, yeah, and I also applied, I think, as a radio journalist with the ABC at the time, but that wasn't successful either. So maybe, you know, I would have hoped to do something like photojournalism had I not worked in radio. Well, Joe, 49 years in the business, a career you should be exceptionally proud of. And on behalf of all those tuning in, thanks for sharing some of those great memories today and happy and well-earned retirement. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for getting in touch. Appreciate it. Joe Miller on Pilots of the Airwaves, and we'll be back very soon with another great blast from the past. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe through either iTunes or Spotify, and I'll catch you again next time.